welcome, 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 welcome to another episode of In Due Time. I'm your host, Deanne Erica, along with my amazing husband, Joe. Hello, everyone. And we are so delighted that you have joined us for another episode. Today, we're actually going to be talking about an event that is rocking us all, not only on a national level, but also on a global level. And that is the racial unrest that has just erupted here in the United States over the past five, six days. Today's episode is called Amplified Hopelessness. And that is, in fact, what we have been witnessing as a result of the latest death of a black man at the hands of white police officers in Minneapolis. And so we really thought this is an important conversation for us to have simply because there are so many questions that have come up and so many responses that we have been privy to in conversations that people are having with us, both as a result of the work that we do, so workplace conversations, as well as private conversations. There are those who are expressing absolute disbelief. Needless to say, they are not black people, because black people, we're not in disbelief. What we are is pissed off, mad, and we've simply had enough. Yeah, I mean, it's been another case where, and I think, I think when I explain to people about this is that we have another situation where our community is exposed to trauma without treatment or rec reconciliation. And this has been an historic, this has been a habitual thing with this country in terms of how they have been treating us. And now we reach a tipping point in this situation and it, it's now has affected people on a global level. So one of the questions that's come up and, and it's just, it's really interesting. One of the questions that has really come up from this is why? Like why is this time different? from any of the other times, and unfortunately there have been many times, where our black people have died at the hands of white police officers. And so our answer is this, at least this is, this is my answer to this. That's because it's come at a time where one more death occurred at the same time that that, that raging, um, wave that I'm going to call the gasoline of the impact of the coronavirus hit the logs at the same time. Here's what I mean by that. Picture a kindling, right? And that kindling is the bodies of all those who have died before George Floyd. So we have Trayvon Martin, Tamir Rice, Breonna Taylor, Mike Brown. Amir Diallo. So we have all of these individuals who have died. That's the kindle. Now imagine the log of George Floyd being dropped on this already huge mass of previous deaths. And it, that log hit at the same time that a gasoline line called COVID-19, the pandemic, hopelessness, unemployment, being locked in the house for two months, 
in quarantine, no income, great uncertainty, death in our community at a much higher rate in our black community due to lack of health insurance, lack of care, lack of testing, fear, all of these things. And now that gasoline line hit that kindling at the same time that that last log called George Floyd was dropped on it and a match was also added. And that has what has made this explosion bigger, different than all of the others. So for those who said, well, why is this happening right now? Look, we have nothing to focus on but social media and the news. There are no basketball games, football games, hockey, soccer, anything that could distract us. There's no, oh, I was on the train, oh, I'm in a meeting, oh, I'm in a conference, oh, I was traveling. There is none of that. So we're at a, in a place where due to COVIDing, due to being quarantined, our focus is on what? The news, television, and social media. And this particular incident was recorded for a full eight plus minutes. So all of a sudden now you have a close up, nowhere to look but hear view of what it is that has been impacting our lives for so many years. And now you white people are saying, oh, what the hell? This is so devastating. Well, it's been devastating for years. And to add to that, as a result of that happening, the amplified hopelessness is being felt around the world. So you have the ripple effect of this kindling, burning bright yes. in America. Yes. And so it has now touched all the other places that are feeling, feeling hopeless. That's and right. so you see people opening their hearts to now and feeling that because, again, a part of what they have experienced being quarantined is that they became more human in terms of being interacting with other humans. And so now you, you, you're getting that feeling that, okay, now I'm, I am more sensitive to what's going on because I'm following the news like, like Deanna said. And I think... It, so you're talking about white people are now more sensitive or more aware of what's going on because now they're following the news and they're seeing this because they have less distractions. I think it's all people. Because, all people. Because, okay. because, because you, you see the far reach of this to other nations around the world that are also protesting against this. Well, this is the thing, though. So there, there are those who may say, well, how come they didn't protest before? I think it's because maybe they didn't see it as clearly before because, again, they too are in lockdown, many of them. Mm -hmm. They too are focused on, and the United States now still, I don't know if it's still the case, but they hold the record for being the epicenter with the most deaths. Mm -hmm. So with that, all eyes have been on the U.S., and mm -hmm. we're in an election year. Mm -hmm. So all of this has put the U.S., plus not to mention, and we, you know, the one who loves to tweet all the time, mm -hmm. he's tweeting twat and self, he's tweeting all the time. Mm -hmm. So when you put us, meaning the United States, on the social media platform and in the forefront, then everything we do has now been amplified. And so now you have social media, you have people having a lot of time. You have looking at every single step the U.S. takes. And they went, oh, wait a minute. They took that racial step again? Oh, damn. Let me look at it more closely. That's right. And I think that now with the way uh, it's been um, the mobilization globally, it's like 
a really bright spotlight is on America now. Oh, yeah. And so now any movement that's being made now is going to be questioned. Yes. And people are going to be out more outspoken that who were not as outspoken before. That's right. Well, remember when we went down to um, uh, Louisiana, right? When we went to New Orleans after Katrina, mm-hmm. and we saw that French reporter, mm-hmm. and he said that he had come back. It was five years after Katrina, mm-hmm. and he said, oh, he was coming back to report, and he was surprised. Remember when yeah. he talked to us, and he said, but they haven't done anything. And they said that they were going to do these things to these black communities. And we said, wait a minute, where do you say you're from? He was from France, remember? Right. Yes. And we said, okay, let's explain to you. They're not going to do anything. That was only while the world was looking. They have no intention of helping this, these black communities that were devastated by Katrina. And he was surprised. So again, it's those, we'll call it, quote unquote, isolated moments that he could go back and tell. But they're like, oh, but we're not seeing anything. Well, guess what? Now they are. That's right. And so the real question here is, okay, what, what's going to be done next? Hmm. And this is where we saw today, especially, a whole surge of between yesterday and today, I guess beginning this week, of companies, corporations, organizations coming forward and making all these very grandiose comments and statements and declarations about being anti-racist and um, not supporting racism in the workplace and being for social justice and coming together. Here is my warning to all of these CEOs and presidents and directors and all these people who are doing this. Make sure that your comments are backed by policies that actually reflect this new stance that you're taking. Don't say these things unless you have policies that are going to back it up. Because if you do not have some consequence in your workplace for people who are going to make derogatory statements and to treat those who are not white in a less than and a condescending manner, and they don't have any type of sensitivity towards these individuals, black people in the workplace, then it doesn't matter that you're jumping on the bandwagon to say, this is what you feel your organization is like, and these are the values that you're projecting for your organization. Because if the people in your organization are not going to reflect those values by their actions, then you're no different from the police department hiring people who will do this and there's no consequence for them. So be careful, all you CEOs. You're putting this out there, but are you training your executives in exactly how it is they're now to fulfill this mission? Because make no mistake, those people are still in their positions and they're still racist. It hasn't gone away. We need to have an open, honest conversation about race and about the issues in, that, that are impacting it because this is what has caused this explosion to happen. Because you're like, we've been talking about this and we've been talking about this and nothing's being done. But we keep clouding it under, oh, I don't see color. And oh, you know, we're all one. And uh, no, there are black people, there's white people, and then all the other people in between. But the issues that are coming up is more against black people than it is against anybody else. Yeah, and the thing is, when you talk about solving a problem, I, I, I kind of equate this to this being an onion. And so we got to start peeling the layers off. And as you start to peel the layers off, the, the odor and stench will get stronger and stronger and stronger. And we ha- you, you're going to have to get to the point where it is, you're getting to that core of the issue and killing that. But we, it's layers. You can't, can't be stuff that's done on the surface. 
It's a matter of we got to have real conversation. Honest. Honest conversation. And then start peeling back a lot of stuff because there's a lot of stuff that's already built in systematically. That's right. To keep keep this going. Yes. And one of the examples I use is that every time you have this kind of situation and you have a situation where there's some type of looting, the network television stations will always point to the fact that we're the victim and then we're, we're the perpetrators. We're in, in this case, we're the victim and we're actually looking for justice. And so those people that are doing the, perp- the, the perpetrators in terms of people looting have nothing to do with the situation. That's true. That's true. And this is the first time that that has been made very evident. It may have been said a little bit when the Black Lives Matters had their movement. Um, the last time that there was outrage, when the Black Lives Matters organization was formed and that movement was formed, mm. it came up then and they were like, but why are you all saying this when you're the ones that are causing the issue? So this time they are consistently saying, wait a minute, we're protesting here and then there are individuals who are looting over there. But don't, don't lump us all together to say you, the people who are protesting, are the ones who are causing the issues. And don't let the media spin it that way. So even the media, you have an obligation with the way that you have people reporting this. Look, look, this is a time where people need to be very honest about what their, their own biases are because we all have them. We as black people have them. It doesn't matter. Having a bias is a human nature thing, right? And so we have to be aware that our biases impact the way in which we deliver a story, the way in which we tell what it is that we see, and the way in which we get people to focus on that which we think is most important. If it's important to us, then we figure it's important to them. And that's not necessarily the case. Right, and, and, and it goes back to, as Dan stated, it's a narrative. Yeah. And so... And who's controlling that narrative? And who's controlling that narrative? Yeah. And the thing is, for so long, and, I've, and, and I, told, I told Deanne, I said... This they're spinning it exactly the same way, but in this case now things are being peeled off the layers of this onion, saying, well, "Wait a minute, this stinks. Why that doesn't look right? right. They're protesting. They're protesting peacefully, and these ag- agitators are pulling up in cars from out of state. Right. They're not even from the place that they're looting. Right. To cause from those neighborhoods. Right. They're not. And so we need to put that in perspective because. When these situations happen, there are opportunistic people that are looking yes. to take advantage of the yes. situation. Yes. We need to, when we look at the situation, we need to look at all the details. Yes. Look behind that crap that's happening with the looters, but look at the details. Right. And, and, and recognize, too, that what is different about this this time is that we now have social media. So in real time, people are able to see what is happening, whereas before it's like, well, this happened, and then let me go back and try and tell you, and you've got to get to the right people who were there to be able to tell you what they saw. Now it's being recorded and it's being delivered globally in real time. So there's no more, oh, well, let me tell you what happened because we can spin it anyway. No, 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 no. I'm going to show you what's happening as it's happening, right? And this is one of the biggest differences between what happened now and what's been happening, say, in the 60s, the 50s, the 40s. Look, they, they were lynching us. We're talking about hundreds of years ago. This has been going on, right? So this is not so much new as it is. It hasn't stopped, it has not. And, and like I said earlier, it's, it's the amount of trauma that we've been exposed to. And there hasn't been anything that has shown up as a treatment. 
And so, it's, it, it needs to stop. We need to address it. So when people are now saying, okay, now that I have a little bit of the history, right, I understand what is causing this. There was a white woman, a psychologist, who was on Good Morning America, I think it was yesterday morning, and she said something that I thought was very much on point. Unfortunately, I'm sorry, I cannot remember her name. But what she said was, if you are going to, you white families are going to have a conversation with your children about what it is that they are seeing, about what happened with George Floyd, and about what, what it is that black people are actually angry about. You cannot have a conversation with them today about what they're seeing unless you explain what black people went through. You can't talk about today unless you explain the history. And if you don't know, go find out what the historical issues have been, what we have experienced in the past, and then have a conversation and an explanation about what you're seeing now because they're connected. This is just not an isolated incident. And while my heart goes out to George Floyd, this is when his family is saying, oh, don't protest in the name of George. We're not protesting in the name of George. We're protesting in the name of black people being treated this way. George was that log on the kindling that I talked about, but this is not protesting to um, deface his name or his character. This is, that was the last log and it was added to the fire and it's raging. It is absolutely raging. Yeah, and, and it, it's, it's, it's for those whose names people don't know about that this occurred to. That's right. For all of those whose names have not been called, for all of those stories that have not been recounted, let me tell you something. In the heights of all of this, there's still so much that is happening behind the scenes that people are not aware of. There was an incident in Hell's Kitchen today where a 19-year-old Hispanic went to the store to go and get food for his grandmother and also pick up her medicine. The cops stopped him and wanted to know where he was going. They thought they were going to arrest him because they said he had stolen the things that he had on him. They took the receipt, went through the receipt, and counted and matched it up with the items that were in the grocery bag. He had his hands up the entire time that this was taking place. The cop said, oh, show me your ID. He said, sir, it is in my right back pocket. The cop said, you can read for it. He said, no, sir, I cannot. I prefer not to. I don't want you to shoot me in the name of you shot me because you thought I was going for something. The cop then went in to ask him, where do you see yourself five years from now? He said, alive. Mm -hmm. He said, oh, you're a smart aleck. He says, no, I know how this could turn out. It can go either way. So I just want to be alive five years from now. Those are the conversations that we have to have with our children. And as the parents of black males, and to all the parents out there who have black males and black females, you got black kids, we have these conversations with them every single day, starting from elementary school and middle school. Yeah, I mean, this conversation has been given to me by my dad, and I've given it to our boys. Yes. And, and it, it takes on a, a different connotation as you go from teenager to 20s yes. to even 30s, because our kids are in their 30s. Yes. And so when I share that with, with, with people who don't, are not aware that this thing occurs because they, they don't have to do it, they're shocked. They don't have a point of reference. They don't, what are you talking about? You have to have a conversation. I have to have the conversation so they can survive. That's right. And it's an everyday reminder. 
It's every day because, see, our children unfortunately think, well, you know, that was in the 60s. That was back then. Things are different now. What this is showing us is not a goddamn thing is different. It's not different. It's the same thing happening over and over and over again. And enough is enough because race just meant Rona. And they said, we are not friends. We're not. This cannot continue. So we're at a time again where it's kind of like the perfect storm. So when people are saying, okay, now what should we do? The first thing that you have to do is have some conversation. So if you are a manager, you're a supervisor, you're in a position where you have a team and you work with other individuals who are black people, have a conversation with them. Look, when that Sandy Hook murder occurred, people were talking to white people with kids. You have kids, oh, I know how you feel as a parent. You have kids, you talked about it. This happened with George Floyd on the weekend. People went in to work for those who are going in and for those who are working remotely and there was no checking in, like a mental, emotional check-in. Where are you? How are you feeling? What's going on? That's a trauma that you're talking about. Nobody addressed it. Yeah, and, and so... And, and I've shared this with my, my lovely wife, Deanne. Anytime this situation occurs, it's close to my heart because I lost my uncle the same way. In, in, in the early 70s, he was coming home from work, and a police officer followed him into, into his building and said to my uncle that he fit the general description of someone they were looking for. When my uncle went to face him, it was an apartment building in New York City. In New York City. Um, the police uh, officer shot him seven times, killed him right on the spot. And uh, my aunt went to court to get justice. She got no justice. Um, and he's one of the many unnamed individuals that you, right. won't, you won't know about. It was just another day. It was just another day. Yeah. So people need to understand that he left a family behind. That's right. And so it is about being able to relate to a situation like this happening to you. And I think what's happening now, as Deanna stated, is that people are being touched. And that's why it's been these ripples that are mobilizing people globally. Because you know what? What they're realizing is this is a human atrocity. That's exactly what this is. And unfortunately, no offense, but you really don't know how we feel because you don't have to have these conversations with your children if you're not black. You don't have to prepare them for this. You don't have to let them know how to approach the cops. You don't have to give them coaching on. But when they call me nigger, and when they put their hands up in my face and when they're trying to ignite an emotion in me to get me to respond, do you want me to just stand there and take it? And to that we say, yes, but it's the how. That is a conversation that you can imagine all you want to all day long and every day, but until you have black skin running from the top of your head to the tip of your toe, you don't know what this is like. And you need to stop going to non-black people and asking them, well, explain black people to me. Have a conversation with a black person and have a conversation with a black person who is proud of being black because there's also that as well, right? So don't go, and when you are asked black people how you feel, say how you feel. Say how you feel. If they're, if they're asking us to have honest conversations and to explain it, break it down. 
break it down and explain. When you say this, it makes me feel this way. When you say this, when you do this, we want to be acknowledged and respected for the talents and gifts that we bring to the table because we are magnificent and amazing people. And instead of constantly trying to put us down, we're not asking that you put us on a pedestal, but what we're saying is don't step on us. There is no need. Listen, not only being, we're also the most resilient people in the world. Given the atrocities that have occurred, whether it's slavery, whether what happened with the things in the South during civil rights and what's, what's happening on a day-to-day -day basis, we're so resilient and we're strong spiritual people. And that's the only reason why we haven't decided to burn this world down. That's right. That's right. There was a whole lot of fear of ancestors going there. And then there were those who were saying, well, you know what? There's got to be another way. And guess what we're faced with now? A generation that says, oh, hell no. Ain't no other way. We got to do this, right? Because they look at us and they say, but you did the marching and you did the sit-ins and you did the stand-up. And look, here we are. Enough of that. They don't understand that. And that is why we say it is an amplified hopelessness that they are feeling. At this point, they've got nothing to lose. They don't have a job, right? They don't have any income coming in. There's no cure for this COVID-19. They're not the ones going to get the cure, even if a cure does come up, because they can't afford it. They're not going to give it away for free, and they have no health insurance. So you know what? Damn it to hell. What have we got to lose? Enough is enough. Like wonderful Tupac Shakur said, we knocked. You said knock, and the door will be open. We knocked. We knocked. You said, hey, come, we would invite you to the table. We even brought our own chair. And you still didn't open the door when we knocked, and you did not even make room for us at the table. So guess what? We blew down the door, and we brought our own tables and chairs. How about that? That's right. And so my advice to those young people, because this, this, this is going to be led by young people, for those young people who will get the opportunity on camera to speak, be clear and articulate yes. how you feel and what you want. What you want, yes. What is the change that you expect to see? So get together. So you got to be strategic about this. There has to be those who are doing the work. There have to be those who say, okay, I'm going to be the spokesperson. And when I speak, this is what we're going to ask for. So what we want to see is consequences for those police officers who are taking these actions. We want to see that, just like this activist this morning said, we want to see that they're checked. If there's another police officer with them and they see that you're kneeling on that person's neck, say to him, what are you doing? Get up, get off, take action. We need to check each other. And that's a part of what you were referring to, honey, when you said we've become more humane. We're looking more at each other. This has got to go beyond quarantine and beyond COVID-19 because COVID-19 is here to stay and our humanity for each other should be the same. Our consciousness and awareness of each other as human beings must also go beyond this pandemic. So we need to say to the police officers and to those who are listening, young people, when that microphone is in front of you, well, what do you want? What do you want us to see? What do you want us to do? We want you to have policies in place that make actions illegal, and then there are consequences that will actually be followed up when those actions are taken. If they are trained on how to stop someone, a perpetrator, and they're trained to disable them without killing them, then it should mean that they can apply that technique to black people because they apply it to white people. 
but they don't apply to black people. They can stop a, a, a white man who has a gun who has just massacred a bunch of black people and they can talk him down and talk him through it and wait, but they see a black man who is not armed and they have no way of stopping him but with a bullet? Come on, there should be consequences for that. So yes, the first step is we also want to see that when you are going to apply the law as you do with a vengeance, as seen evident by the number of our people who are in the prisons and going through the criminal justice system, when you're going to apply that law, applied in the same way to all people across the board. You say that there's a jury of peers, but whenever we go before a jury, it's not made up of our peers, it's made up of your peers. So these are the kinds of changes that we want to see because, again, like you said, honey, it's systematic. Yeah, it's systematic. And the other thing that you need to take advantage of, this is a, this is a window that's opened up now. That's right. And it's not going to stay open forever. It's not going to stay open for, forever. And the thing is, since you have worldwide spotlight on America, look to form alliances with those who want to help also because right. they can help leverage the situation right. and get things done. That's right. Because they're causing, they're causing uh, protests in their country. That's right. They're so disrupting. It's, it's disrupting. a joint, it's a global disruption. disruption. Right. And so look to form alliances because the window will close very quickly. Yes. And you have the strength and you have the support now. Yes. And hold your corporations and your organizations accountable. If your CEO or your president or your executive director, whoever it is, has put a statement out there saying what it is that they're going to do and they're not going to accept anti-racism, look at the policies and see if those policies reflect the statements that they have made. Hold them accountable. These are tangible things that you can do. These are actions that you can take. And this is a time to move forward and do so. Do not be afraid to lift your voice. Do not be afraid to take advantage of this time. This time is here, it's now, and it's for a reason. Don't back down. Do not back down. We didn't get where we are by being fearful. We did not get where we are by saying we will not accept help from others who are our allies. Our allies don't have to look like us, meaning they don't have to be black people to be our allies. But you damn well best believe we have to be careful of those who are not black people who may come to us in the name of, oh, I'm only here to help you, when in fact they're here to hurt. They just want to know what it is that we're doing so that they can be disruptive. So you've got to be discerning as well in picking your allies because not everybody who's coming to help you is coming to help your cause. Yeah, and your ancestors understood that, and your ancestors are right behind you on this. So they will give you the strength to move forward this way, because as Deanne stated, if you look at the situation, even if you look at Harry Tugman, she relied on people that didn't look like her. That's right. To make sure that the Underground Railroad ran really smoothly. That's right. So underground Railroad didn't have black people in houses saying, okay, you can come stay at my place. I'll put you up along the way. Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, you had all types of people. Quakers, you had all people in different locations right. being able to assist with the goal at hand. Right. So be sure that you reach out to those that can help. But again, be careful who you reach out to. Be discerning. Go for allies. Again, you have an opportunity to go for global allies, but be discerning in your selection. Yes. And understand, and some people may be irked by this, this war is greater and deeper than we realize. What we have addressed is the surface piece of this. There's a spiritual piece that is also at play. And the two are coming to a head very soon. 
there it has been happening as a ripple when you look at what happened with that whole fiasco and i'm going to hold up a bible do you think that was just coincidence and happenstance if you did think again think clearly about that but think again so yes think about the amounts of times that that whole spiritual piece has been interwoven into the whole rhetoric right be careful in putting the pieces together and in looking at what is taking place but make no mistake this is a turning point. This is different from any of the other times. And there is no turning back from this. And there is no stopping this. The question is, what will it look like after this? Just like we understand that as a result of COVID, businesses will not look the same. The way we interact will be different. The way that we eat and go out will be different. Please understand that as a result of this log, and the gasoline reaching this Kindle at this time, race relations are not going to be the same. Yeah, and this is, and you got to view this with the, along with the coronavirus or the pandemic as the steps to do resetting. Yes. Of what humanity should look like. Yes. What should what should not only humanity, what should the environment look like? Should what should those things are now giving you the opportunity to reshape it. The way it should be. Yes. So you need to you need to be can be clear about what you want to see and how that is going to look as we move forward. Yes. This is this is an amazing time. Look, we've been saying this from before. If you go back to any of our earlier series when the coronavirus first came out, we were talking about this being an opportunity to reset. We had no way of knowing, because our crystal ball was foggy, we had no way of knowing that come June we would be in this situation where we are. But keep this in mind as well. The weather is changing. So on top of everything else that's already there, we're now entering to the hurricane season. So imagine being in the midst of an approaching storm or hurricane, and all of this is happening. Yes, and so it is supposed to be a very stormy Hurricane season. It's already had three storms in... in That's in, not hurricane season. hasn't started yet. It hasn't even started yet. Yeah. So there may be the next step in terms of what is going to be um, presented to us as part of the reset. So it is something to be continued. A conversation definitely to be continued. In the words of our wise man, Sir Shadow, to be continued. For those who may not be aware, another wise man has told me it's going to be a long, hot summer. And from what I can see, he is absolutely right. One thing we know for sure and two things we know for certain. There is so much that is unfolding and it's all happening in due time. This is Deanne. Joe, it has been our, I can't say our pleasure, but it has been our responsibility to share this conversation with you. We would absolutely love to hear your views, so you can please follow me on Instagram at the Deanne Erica, um, and you can also send a message info at dnerica.com that's i n f o at d i a n e r i c a.com until we speak again until we get together again and we will take care take care